So we count it a privilege to do so. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians 5. Ephesians 5, we're continuing in our series on Ephesians. At this point, the book of Ephesians has shifted from the foundations of who we are to what does it look like to live as Christians. So turn your Bibles to Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Let's hear from God's holy, inspired word. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you that the only reason each and every one of us are here today is because you loved us. The reason that we've responded to the good news of Jesus Christ, that, that good news that all of our sins have been washed away, the, the penalty and the punishment for our sins has been paid for, the only reason we know that is because, God, you've chosen to love us. God, thank you for your pursuing love. Thank you for your redeeming love. Thank you for your forgiving love. Thank you for your patient and merciful and kind love to us. God, I pray that we would be aware of your love this morning and affected by your love this morning, and that would result in, in lives lived in worship for you, desiring to obey you in all that we do in light of your love. God, I pray that you would bless me as I speak today. God, I pray, pray for your Holy Spirit to empower your words. God, I pray for your Holy Spirit to illuminate our minds and open up our hearts that we might receive from you. God, thank you for your holy word, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I don't know if anybody was alive back in the 70s and the 80s, but by the 1980s, there has a, a, a trend and I'm not sure how it caught on, where it started, but I remember in, in high school there was this big trend, at least in early on in the early 80s, to do something called lip sync. It's kind of this ridiculous thing. I don't really understand how it started, why, but everybody was really big into lip sync in the 80s, or at least a lot of folks were big into lip sync in the 80s. And you might be wondering, what in the world is lip sync? If you've been born since then, maybe you're born in the 80s, well, it's where you, you watched a band or a performer play so closely that you kind of had their mannerisms down, you, you dressed like them or tried to, and you mimicked them when you pretended to sing a song while you played on your stereo. Kind of lame, huh? But that was huge. Lip sync was huge. And people would love to have lip sync competitions to see who can move their mouths the most accurately. Kind of funny because you never actually had to do anything but this. It was, uh, it was like karaoke, if you're familiar with karaoke today, maybe, but you didn't have to have any talent, even more so than karaoke. You didn't have to sing, had no talent of your own, and no one had to listen to you. That was the benefit of it, too. So I guess I prefer it more than karaoke, because karaoke, you have to listen to your friends sing painful renditions of songs that you just hope they wouldn't, and you have to smile and nod. That was good. At least in lip sync, you can, you can say that was good because you didn't hear them. And so they, they used to have these big lip sync competitions and people would get together in groups and do lip sync and they would call it an air band. And it was kind of funny. So a, a guy would pretend to play the guitar, pretend to play the drums or pretend to sing or pl pretend to play the keyboard. And they would have air band competitions and 
and went online and looked on YouTube, and there's a few air band competitions from the 80s posted up there, and they're pretty hysterical to watch. We didn't actually have to have real talent. It wasn't like being the bands we enjoyed. It was really just a cheap knockoff of an imitation that had no real content. You didn't have to have actual talent in order to lip sync. You didn't have the actual talent in order to be playing in a, an air guitar. Uh, it took no skill to pretend you were John Bonham on the drums, whoever that is. Now, if you weren't born, if you're born after the 80s, you won't know who that is. So, well, in the passage that we're looking at today, we're told to be imitators of God. And you have to think for a moment, what does that mean when it says be imitators of God? Does that mean just, okay, say the words that you see in Scripture? Does that mean just pretending? Is that just a pretense to be an imitator of God? Does it mean to pretend to be like God? Does it mean to, to act like it externally but to have no real actions, no real change, nothing really transpiring? And that's that's really not what this passage is talking about when it talks about imitating. When it's talking about imitating God, it means following after God, actually living in the same way that we saw God incarnate in Jesus Christ live on the earth. It means trusting in God with our lives like Jesus trusted in the Father. It means walking in the same way that Jesus walked, loving in the same way that Jesus loved Interacting with people in the same way that Jesus interacted. That's an impossible call on our own. So you have to wonder, how in the world can Scripture command us to be imitators of God? How can it command us to do these things if that was Jesus? He was perfect. He came to this earth. He was perfect. He lived a perfect life. How in the world are we to be like that? How does that make sense? Well, Paul, in this passage, he's talking about a, a life of love, not a life of, of pretense or mimicry. He's talking about being so affected by the love of Jesus Christ that it, it flows out of who we are and that it's seen in us saying, I've been saved by God. Jesus loves me so much that I want to do everything I can to live for him, knowing I'm going to fail. But you know what? Here's the confidence I have. He's forgiven me for any failures I've made already. And so because of that, I, we can imitate God. We can follow after God. And so this morning, we're going to be looking at what does it mean to imitate God? And it's seen in everything that we do. It's seen in the way that we walk, in the way we talk, in our, our thoughts, our actions. And it's living our lives as a sacrifice to God because Jesus has sacrificed for us. And his sacrifice has earned us status. It's earned us favor with God. It's earned us the right to be called children of God. He's earned what we never could earn. He's paid what we never could pay. So now our sacrifice is in worship to him for his love. And so there's three things we're going to look at this morning from this passage. Three points that I believe the Lord would have for us from his word. And the first one is that we imitate God by acting like his children. How do we imitate God? We imitate God by acting like his children. By acting like who he has already called us to be, the second point we're going to look at is that we imitate God by walking in love like Christ. We imitate God by walking in love. How? Like Christ. And the third point we're going to look at is we walk in love by offering our lives to God. 
We walk in love by offering our lives to God. The Apostle Paul, he wrote this letter inspired by the Holy Spirit. He had just concluded a large section in Ephesians. The first three chapters in Ephesians are really all about who we are in Christ, who we are as God's people together, called to his church, called to be a holy people set apart for him. And then in chapter 4, he begins saying, now what does it look like to, to live in light of that calling that you've been given? What does it look like in chapter 4 begins to, to walk worthy of the calling with which you've been called, to live holy lives, to live lives in light of who you already are? What does it look like to live like you've been called to be? And then through chapter 4, he's been explaining, we've been given gifts by the Spirit to help the body grow, that every one of us has been given different gifts. He told us the whole body grows when every member does his part, when every member is working properly. And then he's told us, because you've been made new, because you've been made a new creation in Christ Jesus, here's, here's what it looks like. It means putting off those old ways of acting and putting on the new self as we're renewed in the spirit of our minds. And then in verses 25 to 32 of chapter 4, right before these verses, there's, as we always say, context is important. So verses 25 to 32, before the verses we're focusing on, Paul is explaining what living the new life looks like. And then in verse 1 of chapter 5, Paul says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. You can learn a lot from this simple command, but the overall thing that I believe God wants us to walk away with from this one verse is that we imitate God. How? By acting like his children. We imitate God by acting like who we already are. He's made us his children. He's adopted us. He's called us. He's made us new. So how do we imitate God? It says, therefore be imitators of God. What? As beloved children. Our entire identity as Christians is to be grounded in and flow from and revolve around God. Our whole life is meant to be lived with an awareness of God. And this morning, maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, I cannot relate I, I don't know God. I've not placed my faith, my trust in God. And God's calling you this morning to respond. Say, no, you can't live this way on your own. You can't live a life of love. You can't imitate God with just mere mimicry. You can't pretend to be a Christian. You need to be saved by God's grace. And what we need to do is turn to him in faith and ask him to forgive us of our sins and to make us clean hoping and trusting in the fact that Jesus died to forgive our sins and take the punishment that we deserve. That's what that song we just sang, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. It's what that means. And then turn to him and say, God, I want to live for you. I want to be your, your child. Everything we do as Christians is meant to live out who we already are as new creations in Christ. It starts with our identity. It starts with our identity as beloved children of God and then we imitate God by acting like his children. We aren't even to live. You know what? At times we can live our lives thinking that we're, we're being a good moral person and that's not what this scripture is about. It's saying, don't, not just saying be a moral person. It's not even saying live for other people, live for the good of others. It's not saying that either. Sometimes we can live our lives centered around other people subtly. You can live your life centered around your children. You can live your life centered around your spouse. You can live your life centered around your friends or coworkers or esteem, people who you look to for esteem. And what he's saying is don't, don't live that way. You see, Jesus, everything that Jesus did was focused on the will of his Father. 
And so he says, as beloved children, just like Christ lived that way, live as his children. Paul told us in chapter 4 to learn Christ. He told us don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Now he tells us imitate God. So the whole trinity here is, as Paul is telling us, is engaged in our life as believers. So what does it mean to imitate God? Right now there's a lot of popular theories out there about what it means to imitate God and and who we are, and, and I, I heard a man speaking the other day, and he says, you know, science still hasn't, with all its knowledge, even finding the so-called God particle, science has not, still not figured out the origin of life and what's the whole meaning and purpose of life. And so there's a popular speaker, a heretic, really. His name's Deepak Chopra, and he says, and I'm quoting him, you are God in drag. He says, peel away all the labels, the definitions and perceptions and analysis of our own selves, and we are left with the infinite being of consciousness. You and I, minus all of our labels, are God. Anything less is a compromise. Is that what it means to imitate God? I hope that that, that phrase that sounds like a new idea from a man who, who claims to be a God follower Sounds like a new idea, but it should sound familiar to you if you know anything about the Bible. You see, these are, these are words that weren't just spoken by Deepak Chopra originally. They were words spoken by Satan himself, by the devil, as he tempted Adam and Eve. And he came to them and he said, you can be like God. That's not what this passage is talking about, imitating God. But see, that's an alluring idea. It appeals to our sense of importance. It appeals to our pride. But it's the most damning idea that there is. The idea that we are God in drag is, is not only heresy, it's demonic, it's hideous, it's destructive, it's oppression. It, it's a dangerous evil. It's a dangerous doctrine that, if, that, that Satan hopes that we listen to or buy into. You see, the devil in the form of the serpent, he said to Eve, he says, God knows that when you eat of the, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, he says that God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God. Knowing good and evil. See, this is not a, a new lie. This is an old lie that's, that was really the beginning of the fall of mankind. When we had the notion that we could be God. Well, so Paul is not telling us you're going to be like God in the sense that you're going to be omnipotent. You're going to be omniscient. You're going to be all powerful. No, he's not saying that. He's, he's saying you can be made into the, back into the image of God that he originally created humankind to be. You see, the funny thing is, is that Satan appealed to something that we really already, already were prior to the fall. Prior to the fall, man was already made in God's image, already like God. And so man believed the lie that he had to change something to become like God. And God was saying, I already, I already made you in my image to enjoy me, to worship me, to trust me, to live for me. And so the lie that was meant to appeal to man's pride and desire to be just as God is, it, it led to death and destruction, separation from God. All the things that lie said we would get, it really robbed us of. And no matter how nice people like Deepak Chopra might seem, they are the speaking heresy like the devil in drag, retelling an age-old lie directly from the father of lies himself and and the lie is that we're meant to be God. And that's not what Paul is saying here. Paul is saying that we can become 
like who God's already made us to be. He's already made us to be in his image. He's already made us to be in his likeness. And now, because of the fact that we're beloved children, we now can, we can be who we already were made to be in his image. We can be who we already were made to be in his image. And there's certain ways, though, that we can never be like God, aren't there? You can't ever be all-powerful. Try it. You'll fail. You can't ever be all-knowing. You don't know who's sitting out in the lobby right now. That alone proves you're not all-knowing. You're not all-wise. You're not all of the incommunicable attributes of God, but God did create us to be in his image and his likeness. And so when Paul is saying through the Holy Spirit, be imitators of God, what he's saying is because you've been made a new creation, live out who you originally were been made to be. You see, Christ has come that we might be restored, that we might be remade. What's the good news? The good news is that he's come to, to remake us into the image, to make us reborn into the image of God, our creator. He's come to redeem mankind. He's come to enable us to be the new creation that we were originally meant to be. And the Bible tells us all throughout that we should be holy as God is holy. The idea of imitating God is not a new thing. Be holy as I am holy, it says in Scripture. It says, purify yourselves as I am pure. It says... That we're to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul and love our neighbors as ourselves. We're to reflect God's faithfulness and our faithfulness. We're to be merciful as God is merciful. People in the world hold grudges. They're bitter. They're hateful. And the verses prior to this, Paul said, don't be like that. Be kind and just as Christ, as God in Christ has forgiven you, Forgive. Therefore, be imitators of God. But that implies some things, doesn't it? It implies you have to know who God is. It implies that you, you're following after God, that we have to learn about God. It implies that we meditate on God's character and his attributes and his actions. It implies that we follow after God, that we study him, that we live for him, that our entire lives are devoted to him. Like Christ when he walked this earth. It means that we orient our lives in the same way that Jesus did and in John 5, 19, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. How did Jesus live? His entire life was oriented around the Father. And we, in the same way, because we've been made his children, are to have our entire lives oriented around God the Father as beloved children. Three weeks ago, my wife gave birth to our sixth child, um, a really sweet, lovely daughter, Eva. Since Eva's been born, there's one thing that we've, we've heard about her consistently when either on Facebook and pictures or in person, and people say, oh my goodness, she's Rawlings. And, and what is that? You know, why, why, why do people say that? Oh, she's a Rawlings. What they mean is, well, she's clearly made in your image. She clearly looks like you. There's no mistaking where that baby came from. She has attributes and features that look like you, that resemble you. In the same way, it, it's like, a son is, is like uh, is his father. You know, there's some really famous uh, NFL quarterbacks who, who um, e Eli and Peyton Manning and, 
And their father was a quarterback as well, Archie Manning. And there's a lot of attributes when you see them play. If you look at old clips of Archie playing, you can see a lot of the same features and traits. And like, oh my goodness, the way he cocks his arm and his head is tilted and the way he runs. And you can see those things in his children because his children just picked up on what their dad was like by being around him, by watching him, by following him, by, by being a close-knit family like that. There's a country song. Those who don't like country, um, check out right now. Um, but there's a country song by a guy named Rod, Rodney Adkins that came out a few years earlier. It tells the story of a son who was watching him and, and, and he's driving. He slams on the brakes and from the back seat he hears his son say a swear word. And he says, uh, son... Um, where'd you learn that in the song? And so then I'll reach to some of the lyrics from the song. His son responds to his dad. He says, I've been watching you, dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. Want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We got cowboy boots and camo pants. Yeah, we're just alike. Hey, aren't we, dad? I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. We, we got back home, went to the barn. I bowed my head. I played, prayed real hard. I said, Lord, please help me. Help my stupid self. Then this side of bedtime later that night, turning on my son's Scooby-Doo nightlight, I... He crawled out of bed, he got down on his knees, he closed his little eyes, folded his hands, and spoke to God like he was talking to a friend. And I said, son, now, where'd you learn to pray like that? And he said, I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and eat all my food and grow as tall as you are. We've, we like fixing things and holding Mama's hand. Yeah, we're just alike, ain't we, Dad? I want to do everything you do, so I've been watching you. With tears in my eyes, I wrapped him in a hug. said, my little bear's growing up. He said, but when I'm big, I still know what to do because I've been watching you, Dad. Ain't that cool? I'm your buckaroo. I want to be like you and all my food and grow as tall as you are. Then I'll be as strong as Superman. Delusional kid. <laughs> we'll be just alike, hey, won't we, Dad, when I can do everything you do because I've been watching you. So it's a really popular song six, seven years ago. I think it hit the billboard number one. And the reason why it was so popular, it struck a chord there because we all are aware of, if you have children, the fact that they're watching you. Sometimes that's daunting. And hopefully... That helps us change some of our ways when we realize that. But there's a natural characteristic there. You see, God created us, our children, to be made to watch us. Because we're his children and he created us to watch him. We're meant to have the same kind of affection and devotion and paying attention to what God is like. And say, God, I want to be like you. I want to, everything I do, Lord, I want to be like Christ. And this is only possible because of the fact that Jesus has made us the beloved children of God through his sacrifice on the cross by the fact that he's reconciled us to God. But now we get to live our lives like this. That's really meant to be the response that we have is, God, I want to be like you. Now, we can get delusional. We're not, we're not going to be perfect in this life. But thanks be to God that he empowers us by his Holy Spirit. He gives us his grace he makes us his children. He says, yeah, come, be like me. Come, be like me. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Our life should reflect the manner and image of God that we see in Jesus Christ. And in verse 2 in Ephesians 5, we can see, it says, and walk in love. And what, is it, what does it look like to be like God, to be imitators of God? It says, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And what's the second thing that we're going to look at this morning that we're meant to get from this point, this passage? It's simply this. We imitate God by walking in love like Christ. How do we do what he's calling us to do? How do we 
Be imitators of God as beloved children. Well, we do what God's calling us to do. How? By walking in love. So it's kind of a, a parallel command there. Be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love. That's, that's what it looks like to be imitators of God as beloved children. Walk in love like Christ. Paul said earlier in Ephesians 4, 17, he says, Now this I say and testify the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. If you do not know Jesus, our, your heart is darkened, you're alienated, you're separated from God. But God desires to give us new hearts. And for those who place their faith in Jesus, we are now able to walk in love because he's given us a heart of love. To walk in love is to imitate God. And it's a really comprehensive statement that Paul is making. He isn't saying walk in love in one area. He's not saying do these few things that look loving. Actually, all throughout the latter part of chapter 4 of Ephesians, he's been telling us what does it look like to walk in this manner, to walk in a way that's worthy of the calling with which we've been called. It looks like forgiving like he's forgiven us. It looks like being kind as he's been kind to us. And Paul talks all throughout Ephesians about the idea of our Christian walk. The fact that our life is meant to be a walk. And he mentions it seven times in this short letter in Ephesians 2.2. He says, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world. In Ephesians 2.10 he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works with God prepared before him so that we would walk in them. It's a theme that Paul keeps repeating and he says in Ephesians 4.1, Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. In Ephesians 4.17, he says, So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Our passage today says walk in love. And in Ephesians 5.8, he says, You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord Walk as children of light. Ephesians 5.15, he says, Therefore, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. And really, all of those, that, those ways of walking, they pivot on, on one thing. It, it, it demands that we walk in love. How do we walk wisely? We walk in love. How do we walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling? We walk in love. How do we walk in good works that God prepared beforehand for us? We walk in love. Walking in love or living a life of love, it's how we live the Christian life and it's what it means to imitate God. And that's a hard call, isn't it? I'm aware of every day that I get up. I'm aware of, of areas where I'm not loving I'm not walking in love. That's to be the constant state that we're walking in. What does that require, though? It requires that we're aware of Christ's love, that Christ's love has changed us, and that it's been shed abroad, as Scripture says, in our hearts. The remaining chapters in Ephesians, they contain a series of instructions to loving each other, and not only would we imitate God in His loving forgiveness of us in Christ, it says we are to love, and Scripture says, as Christ, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. The model, what Scripture is saying is that the model, the basis for living this life of love 
It's Christ's love and sacrificial giving of himself for us. Imitating God, it's imitating Christ and the Christ-like love we're being called to. He, he's saying it's a sacrificial, self-giving, self-denying love. And it's only possible because he has loved us in this way. Christ's love was costly. He gave up his glory and gave up his preferences. Think about it for just a moment. The creator of all who doesn't need us. He has no need of man. It would have been easy to wipe out mankind and just start over again. But the creator of all says that God so loved the world, those who were opposed against him, that he gave his only begotten son. It says that Jesus came because he loved us. He was motivated by his love for us. He took the initiative in giving himself over to death. And if you understand God's love, Christ's love for you, it will govern all that you do. And that's how we, we walk in love, is an awareness of Christ's love for us. Jesus took the initiative in giving himself over in John 10, 17, 18. Jesus is saying, you, you know, you didn't, you didn't, you're not killing me on, because of your power. And so he says, I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. How staggering is that, that Jesus would consider the cost of the cross Consider the fact that he was to be forsaken for us and that he would intentionally, deliberately lay his life down for us. This is a life of self-giving love. A life that we're called to lay down for God so that others might come to know him. What was Jesus living for? He was living for you and I so that we might come to know him through his self-denying, life-giving love. Paul says that we're to imitate God as Christ loved us. It means that when we love, it should evoke images of God's love towards us. But if we're going to live like Christ, we better understand what is Christ's love for us? What does that look like? Paul tells us over in Romans 5. He tells us what Christ's love was like. In Romans 5, verses 5 to 8, he says, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. For while we were still weak, so we weren't powerful and deserving, while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died not for the righteous, not for those who were good, not for those who were lovely, but for the ungodly. That was you and me. We were ungodly. We were weak. It says, indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person someone might actually dare to die. But God... You need to grasp this this morning if you're going to imitate God and walk in love like him. But God proves. Maybe you're sitting there thinking, you know what, I understand that God loves Bob and Sally and whoever, but does God really love me? I don't feel like God loves me personally. Listen to this. is all the proof that we need. It says, but God proves his love for us in that while we, while you and I were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, the love of Christ for us is seen most clearly on the cross. God, God proved his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
Christ willingly offered himself up as a sacrifice to God. And we read this, that it was a fragrant offering, it says in Ephesians, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And what we can see in this, in this one little phrase here, is that how we walk in the kind of love that Christ loves us with, it's the, the same self-sacrificing way that he did. And so the third point that we're going to get just from this, this second half of this verse is that we walk in love by offering our lives to God. We walk in love by offering our lives to God. The loving sacrifice of Jesus Christ, it was fully pleasing to God. And in fact, everything that Jesus did, he didn't worship to the Father. When he came to the earth, he offered himself to be humbled and made mere human flesh. When he obeyed his earthly parents, when they were wrong, could you imagine that? You know, sometimes my kids think they're right, they're really not. And, um, but I make them obey anyway. And sometimes they might be right. Jesus was always right. And yet he obeyed his parents. And I'm sure they were wrong at times. He obeyed his parents. It was an offering to God. When he was patient with his disciples, when they were boneheads, and they were so many times, like you and I are, he was offering himself and sacrificing his preferences and his convenience to God and Jesus offered himself up in new hunger and fatigue and pain. He knew ridicule and hardship and poverty. He knew unfaithful friends. He subjected himself to the judgmental condemnation of mankind. Why did he do this? All this is a sacrifice to God. When we're called to love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, though, you can, you can be tempted to think, well, that's just moralistic living. But what's perhaps one of the most defining characteristics of those who are imitators of God, the most visible sign that we're children of God and that we're living our lives as, as worship to Him is by our love for Him. Because God has loved you and I enough to give up His only Son because he's called you, because he's drawn you, because he's forgiven you, that's how you can love him. It's not moralism. You see, he's already earned, Jesus has already earned the favor before God that we could never earn, so we don't have to repay him, we don't have to earn it at all, and now we can live a life of love. We can be freed up to live that way, even when we fail, even when we have sin in our lives. We can be freed up and say, I'm gonna live as imitators of God because, because I'm free to live that way, because there's no fear of punishment. Peter O'Brien says of this verse, I'm going to share a quote with you. He says, The apostle's point is plain. Christ handing himself over to death for his people was the supreme demonstration of his love for them because he is both the ground and model of their love. Costly, sacrificial love is to be the distinguishing mark of their lives. Costly, sacrificial love is to be the distinguishing mark of their lives. To serve others in this way is not only to please God, is both to imitate both God and Christ. You see, what's the main idea of all these, all these things this morning? What's the main point this morning I want us to get? What's the, the main thing we need to take away? It, you know, yes, we need to obey God's commands to imitate Him. Yes, we're to imitate God by walking in love. And yes, we walk in love by offering our lives to God. But the main idea that we need to get this morning 
is that we can only obey God's commands to be like him if you understand Christ's love for us. That's what we need to understand. That's what we need to see. We need to behold the love of Christ for us. And it's really only as we behold the the love of Christ for us that we can then obey the commands to be imitators of God as beloved children. The only way we can act like his children is if we know what Jesus Christ acted like. The only way we can walk in love like Jesus Christ is if we see how Christ loved us. The only way we can offer our lives to God is through the loving sacrifice of Jesus. If you're here this morning, you don't see your need, whether you're a Christian or not, if you don't see your need for forgiveness from God, the mercy of God, the unearnable love of God, then you won't be able to obey God's commands. But if you see that God loved you when you were a hater, if you see that when you were disobedient and rebellious in your heart, no matter how old you are, maybe you're 11 years old and you're sitting here thinking, I've never really done anything bad. Yeah, you've been rebellious. You've been hating God in your heart. You were proud. You were arrogant, wayward. All of us were completely unlovely. We weren't attractive to God. If you see that he pursued us when we were dead in sin, rotting corpses of sin, and he pursued us, you're going to be motivated to live a life of love, to be imitators of God. And as we close this morning, I think that we need to respond to this passage. We want to be a church, a people that's known more and more for how we walk in love. That's what it means to be God's people, to be his body. What does it look like to live worthy of this calling to his body, to his church? It looks like walking a walk and a life of love towards one another. We want to be a church that's growing in our love for God, our neighbor. We want to be growing in our understanding that you're completely accepted by God's love. Not because we're acceptable on our own, but because Christ has made us completely acceptable by his sacrifice on our behalf. But there's some things that sap us of our love for God, aren't there? There's some things that deaden our experience of Christ's love. When you become so filled with other things, this week we're gonna have Thanksgiving, it's coming up. You ever experienced that when you become so filled on Thanksgiving food that all looks great so you pile it all on your plate and then you can't enjoy it at all afterwards and you're like, oh my gosh, why did I do that again? We can fill ourselves up with trying to be satisfied in so many other places, so many other things, instead of being satisfied in him. And it saps our love for him. You can become callous in areas of sin. And when you read his word, just because you don't experience an emotion, you can say, well, I'm not convicted of that. And so you can accept sin and your heart can become hardened. You can fail to see that we need the love of God, that we didn't deserve the love of God, that we need him to change us. We can become familiar with the love of God and we're meant to revel in his love. It's never meant to grow old for us. So how do we respond? We need to daily remind ourselves of our need for him and of his great love for us through Christ. Remind ourselves that God loves us because Jesus gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Why? Because it was necessary. It was necessary for him to give himself up for us because there was no other way. There was no other way that we might be saved. And what a great place that God's love is revealed. Walking in love and imitating God seen when we love 
what God loves and hates what he hates. When you love truth, you love compassion, we love mercy, we love forgiveness, we love patience and kindness. Imitate Christ when we love others more than ourselves. In Romans 12:1, it says that we we're to live our lives in such a way that we we offer our lives to God as living and holy sacrifices acceptable to God, which is our spiritual service of worship. That's that's how we're to live our lives, as worship to him, as an offering to him, saying, God, I want to worship you and give you an offering of my life, walking in love because you love me. 1 Peter 2.5 talks about this idea of walking in love like Christ as offering our lives as a sacrifice like he did. 1 Peter 2.5 says, you also as living stones, very similar idea to what Ephesians has been talking about, being built together into God's holy church, is are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up, here's the purpose of which God has brought us together as his people, this is to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And what does that look like? It looks like living a life of love, walking in love. And if you understand Christ's love for you, it's gonna motivate you to live a life worthy And so what does it look like to live out this kind of love? What does it look like in practical day-to-day life? Fine, Matt, you're saying we have to walk out a life of love. What does it look like? Well, it it looks like a lot of mundane living for God. It looks like living in worship for God and our day-to-day interactions, being aware of God, being aware of where God is at work, aware of what God is like, following after God and saying, God, I want to worship you. I want to be like you. So, Lord, I'm going to offer my life to you when my spouse is not treating me kindly. How can I be patient? There's countless ways we can live a life of love. It looks like when a husband leads by laying his life down sacrificially in the way that Christ did for us. It can look like when a wife submits to her husband not because he deserves it but because she reveres God. She's imitating Christ like that. When a child obeys their parents out of love for God and a desire to worship God, that's what it looks like to walk out a life of love. Not because your parents are especially deserving. They're not. Because God calls you to worship him and love him by obeying your parents. Looks like when a care group member serves another member even when it's inconvenient, when you're tired, when you don't feel like it, serving each other, saying, you know what, how can I live a life of love? It looks like going out of your way to share the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody in need when you're tired, you don't feel like it. You're busy, you've got things on your plate, you feel like just going home and resting and clicking on the game. It looks like coming in to hear God's word preached on a Sunday morning and making a priority. It's an evidence of how we love God's word. When a student comes to the defense, if you're here and you've seen somebody else being mistreated who's weak or lowly or unlovely. Walking in love looks like befriending them like Jesus was a friend to those who were unwelcome and like he welcomed us. When we honor God with our time out of our love for him, when we care for an elderly neighbor, when we adopt orphaned children, when we show God's love to widows, when we Share the gospel with other people because we want them to know God's love. When we take somebody else a meal or call them to see them how they're doing when we didn't see them. And by the way, church, I continue to be amazed really by how you show love in practical ways like this. We, I mentioned we had a baby a few weeks ago and 
Just you showed your outpouring of love in pearl practical ways, fixing meals, caring for us. And I see you do that in so many places in the church. You already are walking in love. And so this is an encouragement. Keep on walking in love, not because it's reciprocated, but because God loved you, because Christ loved you. Be imitators of God. Christians, we don't need the latest fad. We don't need to find out what's happening now. God calls us to live a life of love because God in Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. And living like that, that's really radical. That's really powerful. Living a life of love, it's a, it's a radically different kind of life that we're called to that testifies the power of the gospel to change our lives in the everyday moment of life. It's to be live as worship for him. As we close, I want to evaluate and actively seek to apply. So good, and the band come up and get ready to sing a song. That'd be great. I ask you some questions as they're coming up. What, think about it, what do people hear you say you love the most? What do people hear you talk about the most? What do you pursue the most? Where do you pursue knowledge the most? How can your love for God be seen? What are you most passionate about in your life? It's fine to be passionate about sports or whatever it is or your hobby. It's not fine to be more passionate about those things, though, than you are about living for God. Our love for God is seen when we're passionately living our daily, mundane, routine lives, because that's where most of us live as a loving sacrifice and offering to him because of his love. So if there's a way that God's convicted you this morning that you're not walking in love, maybe with your spouse, your friends, your coworkers, your children, your roommate, your classmates, or somebody else here in the body of Christ, think about, is there someone here I need to go to and, and walk in love? Is there a way that the Lord is calling me by his spirit to change, that I've been convicted is not loving? And I would expect if you are a Christian, if you've been born again, there's at least one area for each and every one of us here. Don't start with a whole bundle of things. Start with one area and say, God, because you've loved me, I want to offer up this area as a sacrifice to you and walk in love. And then because he's forgiven you and made you his child and given you his love, know that you're now free to change. That's good news. You're able to be like him. Knowing, you, knowing that he's making you into his image day by day. It says in, in Romans 8 that he is conforming you. He's making you into the image of Christ. Just what they're talking about, this verse in Ephesians, we're told to be imitators, be like, be made in the image of God. He's the one at work in you so you can have confidence as you step out and respond. You can rest in his love for you and his never-ending love to give you confidence daily to confront sin, to die to yourself, to live a life of love and then But there's no way to imitate God unless you've been affected by his love and changed by his love. There's no way you can follow God unless his love has transformed you and softened your heart. The motive for living as imitators of God, it's the love of Christ. As Christ himself has loved us and gave himself up for us. And you can never earn that. And here's the good news, you can never lose it. So let's stand together. And let's worship God because of his great love. And if there's anything that God's put in your heart, I'd encourage you to say, God, change me in this area. I want to be more like you. I want to be imitating you in this area. Lord, give me some specific ways I can respond to you.